Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So with that, let's uh, dig in. Have you ever had this experience where uh, you maybe start a new job or take on a new responsibility at a, at a job or you have to learn something really fast? So, so whether it's a, a new skill or a new piece of equipment or tool, but, you know, it's what we call like a steep learning curve. You, you have to, you know, kind of figure it out quick. And if you've ever had that experience, you realize at first it's overwhelming. You just go, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. And then you start to catch on a little bit and you get the hang of it. And then after a while, it's just normal. It's routine. You, you feel like, oh, you know, no big deal. Uh, we're today uh, in our fifth week in Luke chapter 9. Uh, it's a long chapter, and I want to say that uh, this chapter for the disciples has been one of those learning curves. Uh, they, they started at the beginning of the chapter, uh, the, uh, the disciples were sent out by Jesus for the first time on their own. Up to this point, they had gone with Jesus, and he had done the ministry. So when they prayed for someone or any of the different situations they were involved in, Jesus would do it, and the disciples were there kind of looking on, and at the beginning of this chapter, he sends them out on their own, and uh, they come back and they report in and kind of had some mixed results. Um, So that was the beginning of the chapter, and then immediately after that, uh, they... uh, are faced with this huge crowd of people and the disciples don't know what to do and they come to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, let's just send these people home. There's too many of them, you know, it's getting late. And Jesus says, no, you guys feed them. And uh, again, that was, they, they weren't sure quite how, how does that work, we don't know. But, uh, you know, through Jesus' instruction and, and his help with them, they were able to, to take care of that. Uh, after that, he gives them some bad news. He tells them he's going to die uh, he's going to be crucified, and, and that's confusing to them because that's not what they thought was going to happen. That isn't the plan that his disciples had in mind, so they're a little bit perplexed by that, and then immediately following that, Jesus takes three of them, Peter, James, and John. He goes up on a mountain, and strange things happen. When they get up there, uh, Jesus gets all glowy. Uh, Elijah and Moses show up. Voice comes out of the clouds. It's crazy. Uh, you know, they're not sure what to do with this. Uh, so they, when they return back, a man brings his child who's, who's been uh, oppressed by demons to the disciples to take care of, and they are unable to deliver him. Uh, this is part of the report back to Jesus. He, they didn't, it didn't work for him. So the man then brings his son to Jesus, and Jesus is able to help him um, and that kind of brings us, uh, so you can see that there's a, uh, that's a, a, a lot. It's a lot to happen to these guys in a short period of time. Brings us to uh, where we are today, verse 44. I want to read verses 44 through 50 together, and then we'll kind of, you know, move on from there. So, verse 44, Jesus says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. 
the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who's the greatest. Master said, John, we saw someone driving demons out in your name and we try to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. Whoever is not against you is for you. So uh, our title today, go to the next slide, is Power of Presence. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll dig into this a little bit. Lord, I pray you would uh, open your word to us this morning in such a way that uh, we would just gain understanding of what it means to be present and to uh, love those people that you bring uh, across our paths uh, day to day. In your name we pray, amen. This is the second time here that in, in that same chapter that Jesus tells them that he's going to be delivered over to the hands of men. He's gonna be arrested, persecuted, ultimately crucified, and they still don't get it. And I think, and maybe you've had this situation, at least a part of that is that that really is not what they want to hear. And you know, you know how when you get bad news and you don't want to hear that bad news, you just kind of block it out? You know, I don't, what? Uh, I can't hear you. You know, we just pretend that we're not hearing what we're really hearing. And I think there's at least some of that going on here. Uh, this, is, this is such a different reality than the disciples were planning on that they're just not quite catching it. Uh, so, so Jesus gives them this difficult news that they don't want to receive. It's challenging, and they do a classic disciple thing. He, he tells them, you know, I'm going to be delivered over to men, so what do they do? They get in an argument over who's going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be, no, I'm the big dog. You're not, the, no, you're lame. I'm the best. And they, they have this argument, and it's like, really, guys? I can imagine Jesus just shaking his head going, seriously. Um, but he responds to them. He responds to their argument. And go to the next slide, verse 48. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. So he brings a little child up. And he says, look, here, here's the deal, guys. It's not about who's the smartest. It's not about the highest SAT scores. It's not about meeting this month's sales quota. It's not about being great in any of the ways that you might think about being great at all. Really, what it's about is it's about the welcome of the kingdom. It's about learning to love those people that, that really cannot love you back. It's, 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 it's about loving people that can't repay you. It's about caring for those that have zero ability to respond, that, that, that you can't gain anything from them. That's what being great in the kingdom is really all about. If you think about it, it it's a weird conversation. The disciples are so all over the map because Jesus gives them this news. They respond by having this argument. So he addresses the argument and then they turn around and, and they ignore what he just said and they go, well, we saw some random dude over here trying to cast out demons, so we told him to stop. What's that about? 
Jesus has a kingdom mindset. And he goes, look, it's okay. That's okay. Uh, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about our church or the vineyard. It's about the kingdom of God going forward. And, and really, when the kingdom of God goes forward, we, we rejoice, regardless of who's involved in that. It's about a willingness to not be great. It's about a willingness to not be recognized, to, to not get headlines, to not get the accolades, to not get the attaboys, but just to love people and especially to love those who really cannot love back. Henry Nouwen is uh, one of my favorite Christian authors. I don't know if you guys ever read Henry Nouwen. Uh, I, he just came out with a new book, which is amazing. He's been dead for 23 years. Uh, so, so I was so excited when I saw this, a new book by Henry Nouwen. Uh, but what happened is uh, somebody found a series of lectures by Nouwen and they transcribed them and they released those. So it was so exciting. Yeah, 1996, Henry Nouwen passed away, uh, but we have a new book by him. Um, in his lifetime, though, Nouwen was the author of 39 books. Uh, he taught spirituality and theology at Notre Dame, Harvard, and Yale. Uh, he was a world-renowned speaker and had uh, a very visible ministry. He was a Catholic priest, but as very few Catholic priests have done, crossed over and had tremendous influence in the Protestant church as well, um, very sought after for conferencing and speaking and, and all of the, everything that goes with that. And so somebody like that, at the end of their life, what do you think they do? You know what I mean? Uh, 39 books, if it's me, to be honest, probably I'm going to go home and cash the check, you know? Just uh, ride this one out. So, so Nowen goes to a conference in Ontario, Canada. And he's speaking at this conference, and a friend is there. And his friend comes to him and says, hey, I'd like you to join me. I want to take you to a place called Large Daybreak Community. And Daybreak is a community run by the Catholic Church for people that have profound developmental disabilities, for adults that have profound developmental disabilities. And now he goes to visit this community. And he's so deeply moved that he says, this is what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing. And he moves to Daybreak and spends the last 10 years of his life there. Uh, and he was serving throughout that 10 years people that most of us would probably classify as the least of these. They really were people who had little or no ability to respond, to reciprocate, to love back. One of those was a young man named Adam Arnett. Adam uh, could not speak or move without assistance. He uh, had seizures, violent seizures fairly regularly. And now and develops this friendship with him. And uh, near the end of his own life, he wrote his final book, if you go to the next slide, called uh, Adam, God's Beloved. When the book came out, Christianity Today did an interview with him, and he says, it is, Adam not, it is I, not Adam, who gets the greatest benefit from, from our friendship. Um, see, here's the thing. Adam and all the other folks at Daybreak didn't recognize Henry Nowen. They didn't know who he was. They'd never heard him speak. They'd never read one of his books. What they knew is that he's the guy who comes and sits with me. He, he, he's the guy 
who helps me eat and helps me bathe and just spends time with me. He's the guy who gave them the gift of presence. See, power and presence are at odds. Part of the temptation to power is that it's easier to gain power than it is to love. You know, it's, it's easier to try to play God than to really love God. It's easier to try to control people than love people. It's easier to focus on our life and our needs rather than the lives and needs of those around us, and especially those that may not be able to reciprocate. We, uh, we kind of get used to things the way they are, you know, realistically speaking. Life is life. And you kind of get caught up in it and there's a system and there's a process and we just follow that process. And so you go to work and you climb the corporate ladder and if you step on somebody on your way up the ladder, well, sorry, but you know, uh, I needed the promotion more than you did. And, and so we get, the, we get the next job and the promotion and the bigger paycheck and we're living the dream and that's just kind of the process that we go in and follow through and we can live in it. And sometimes as Christians, we say, well, you know, I can... I can fit Jesus into, I can put Jesus in this process, take him with me. I can maybe try to be a little nicer or I can have some devotional time or do whatever I do. But rarely do we ever just stop and say, wait a minute, let's question the system itself. See, because that's what Jesus did. He challenged the system. He challenged the status quo. And in in a very real way, it's what Henry Nouwen did. Henry Nouwen said, I'm not going to continue in the process. I'm going to get off the train. Jesus didn't come so that we could live a better life and go to heaven when we die. There's more to it than that. He was, Jesus was a radical in the classic sense of the word in that he challenged the status quo. Everything that people believed about what God was like and what it looks like to follow him, Jesus turned it all upside down. What does it mean to be great? And I think in, in, in the world system and in our culture, there's one answer to that. But in the eyes and heart of Jesus, I think there's another dynamic altogether. And I don't know, I don't know if we really get that. I don't know if we fully embrace that. I think the disciples, if you sort of follow their track through the gospels, they live in that tension all the time. Because you see them, one day they get it. You, you go, the disciples got it. They did the right thing there. They, they really stepped out. And then the next day you go, oh, no, no, wrong, bad, bad. Uh, and they kind of go back and forth. And so I think they're really in that tension of, you know, even here, they've been with Jesus for a little while. They've seen some things. They've experienced some things. And now they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. You've heard the saying, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, Absolutely. Uh, here, here's the thing. The, the person who has the most power loves the least. Did you know that? In almost any situation. Think about it. You, you get a phone call from your credit card company or a utility bill company. Or whatever. Hey, we're going to pay this bill or we're going to turn, turn your power off. Well, uh, yeah, I know, but uh, I know I'm a little late this month, I'm sure. We'll get it to you. I'm going to get it to you pretty soon, and, uh, you know, we'll try to make payments. Or No, I'm sorry, you know, you're going to pay us by this date, or goodbye. Almost any situation, 
this is just how, how engaged in this process we are. We want to know who's in charge, right? If you, are, if you buy something at Target and you want to return that item and you go to return that item and the person at the counter tells you, I'm sorry, you cannot return this item. What do you say? I want to see the manager. I want to go over your head. I want to go higher up. If you're at a restaurant, you order a meal and you don't like your meal and you don't like the service that the server gives you, what do you say? I want to see the manager. We define ourselves very often by our status. You meet a new person, a party or a dinner party gathering, whatever, maybe here at church, you go out for coffee, whatever. You have a conversation. It won't take very long. Literally, within the first five minutes of conversation with any new person, you're going to ask the question, what do you do for a living? We want to know that. Person says, I'm a doctor. Oh, man. Wow. I'm a professor at PSU. Wow. Well, I am the night janitor at Walmart. Oh. Is that a career decision? This actually happened to me. True story. I was having a conversation. I was at a retreat center, pastors and leaders, uh, and two pastors were talking. We were all sitting around a table, and uh, one was telling the other one where they got their doctorate at, their PhD in theology. And then the other one says, well, I got mine at this school. And then the guy turns to me and he says, where'd you get your PhD? I said, well, I barely got out of high school. And he turned around and walked away. You can't sit with us. We get old, we do the same thing with our kids. You know, we brag about our kids. Well, my kid went here, my kid does this, my kid does that. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, my, my kid lives in the basement and plays Nintendo all day. Pastors are not exempt. They might be the worst. Again, conversation among pastors, it won't take very long into that conversation if somebody wants to know how many folks go to your church. I had a friend who remained nameless. That conversation came up. And he said, I have about 400 people in my church. The church was only a few years old. I go, man, that's amazing. That's so awesome. And uh, shortly after that, I was there to visit and their sanctuary, the room they were in, was about half the size of this room. And there were chairs for like 50 people. I said, man, where do you put everybody? He goes, oh, they're never all here at once. And I thought, well, okay, so maybe 400 people have been here at some point in time is what you're telling me. Um, I grew up in a denominational church where you, you, they had a membership. And once you signed the member, you were a member. And you think that's a lifetime member, but it's actually an eternal membership. Because the membership was 800 people. There was about 150 people there, but there were 800 members. The rest of them were dead. But they were members. That, it starts early, doesn't it? My dad can beat up your dad. Here's the thing about that. And again, those are just fun examples of things that we can identify in life. But the truth is this, that that conversation eliminates the people that Jesus loves the most. They're completely outside that conversation. The poor, the prisoner, the blind, the oppressed, the people that Henry Nowen spent his life, the last 10 years of his life caring for, uh, they're, they're not in the conversation. 
And I understand, and, and I'm, I don't say this today to s- sort of put anything on anybody or ridicule or put down anybody. I, I just want to identify mindsets that we carry with us that might or might not be healthy. I realize that that is so culturally ingrained in us that very often we participate in that conversation without even really realizing we're participating in it. But I, but I, I think it's, it's beneficial for us to ask the question, do I want to be a part of a conversation that eliminates those people? The statistics on world poverty are changing, but there are still about 10% of the population of the world that lives on less than $1.90 a day. That's their entire, so that, that's everything. House, housing, transportation, food, clothing, whatever. Every, they're, li, lives on less than $1.90 a day. So just comparatively speaking, that's less than I pay for one cup of coffee at Starbucks. And sometimes I go there twice a day. I saw a great thing the other day. Said instead of going to Starbucks today, I made coffee at home, called out my name wrong, and lit a $5 bill on fire. (laughs) It's funny, but it's so true. (laughs) UNICEF reports that 30,000 children die every day from poverty. So, if you have ever been to the Moda Center, if the Moda Center is full and then half full again, that's 30,000 children every day from preventable causes. It's poverty that leads to that. Children are always the most vulnerable. As I read this passage this week, it struck me the first time, I don't think it was a coincidence that Jesus took a child and said, you welcome this child, you welcome me. Because I, I believe the child is, is the most vulnerable person out there. And, and really, Jesus is saying, that's what this is about. The child doesn't care if his clothes came from Nordstrom or Kmart. The child doesn't care how much money you make, what kind of car you drive, what zip code you live in. None of that matters to the people that are closest to the heart of Jesus. That's the reality. And I think we can just become more aware of that. And, and I get it's not easy, but uh, th- those things are so ingrained in us. Can we begin to maybe have a different conversation? Can we begin to find ways to include the lives of people that Jesus loves the most? It's interesting when you, people go into ministry, you're young and you're idealistic and you, wanna, you hear this, I want to do great things for God. And my question is, what does that look like to do great things for God? It, it, it might be, it might be to take time out of the day and sit with someone who no one else will sit with. It might be just taking time out of the day and get to know the lives of people uh, around us. Henry Nowen put it this way, if you go to the next slide for me. More and more, the desire grows in me simply to walk around Greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, throw water, be known as someone who wants to live with them. It is a privilege to have the time to practice the simple ministry of presence. 
Still, it is not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be part of some impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It is difficult not to have plans, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you're working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories, tell your own, and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but truly love them. And I think it starts by just questioning the status quo. Where are we at in the process? Uh, you know, can we not give in to the pressure of, of just moving forward on the corporate ladder and doing those things that conventional thinking says we should be doing? Can we take time and say, I'm going to today make an effort to prefer those people that might otherwise be overlooked and that might be in the context of your job or it might be your neighborhood, it might be school, wherever, I don't know. The question really is the question of power or presence. Um, presence says this, I'm willing to slow down. And, and I think for most of us, that's the hardest step because it's just so hard to slow down. I think now one's right. We get so caught up in our own schedules. But slow down and, 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 and listen to the Lord's voice. And, and be willing to let him set your agenda or at least minimally be willing to let him interrupt your agenda. I put, I, when I was preparing this, I said, let the Lord set your agenda. And I thought, you know what? Maybe just let him interrupt your agenda for a minute. Take time to help out. Maybe a neighbor in, in need, you know. Uh, listen to somebody that, has something to share and you're in a hurry and you've got to go to the next meeting, but you stop and say, no, I'm going I'm to listen to this person right now. Maybe just, uh, sometimes, do you ever have this happen to you? you, you you're somewhere, Starbucks, and you, you think God maybe gives you a word for somebody and you go, I don't know. And so you just go, I'm not going to say it. And you leave. When the reality is, here's the thing. <laughs> So you have an encouraging word for somebody, but you're not sure if it's really the Lord or not, so you don't say it. What, what do you lose by sharing that, even if it's not from God? If you just made up an encouraging word for somebody. I don't know, just a question. Take time to invest in the relationships with people who have zero potential to reciprocate. Just think about that for a little while. I have nothing to gain from this relationship, and yet I'm going to choose to invest in it. Love people who uh, have nothing to give back and do it with no strings attached. And let me say, no strings attached includes this. Not so they'll change. Sometimes we want to see progress. I want to see this person get out of this situation, give up this sin, make this decision in their life. So I'll love them on that basis, but I, it's not even that. It's I'm going to love them because Jesus loves them and Jesus says I should love them and that's it, period. Whether they ever change or not. If you guys want to, uh, worship team wants to come back up, I'll just close with this. I think on one hand, Jesus sort of had a plan. He had a trajectory over the course of three years of ministry that he knew where that was headed. But on the other hand, really step by step, the trajectory involved primarily just taking the time to love the person that was in front of him at that moment. And that's what he did. 
And the movement that he launched is still active and thriving 2,000 years later. So with that, uh, we'll uh, take some time to worship if you guys want to stand. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.